0: There are none above you. There are none before you. All of time is in your hands, our gracious God and Heavenly Father, the Ancient of Days. Our God, in the light of your great majesty and holiness and goodness, we are very conscious of our own sinfulness and need and weakness. We confess that to you today. But we thank you so much for your amazing grace. We thank you that you have not only called us to yourself to be members of your kingdom of light, but that you have given us the precious gift of your word. And so we pray now as we hear your word that you might please soften us, open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us and make us willing to change our lives in response to live in trusting obedience to you, our great God and heavenly Father. Through the name of your mighty Son, our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 26. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, You have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, The scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over and This apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles.
0: Some really interesting things in that chapter, isn't there? We're not going to talk about intestines, um, but you might have noticed that as we sort of uh, started out. Uh, We are in this new series in Acts. I hope you're looking forward to it. Uh, Every time we open God's Word together, it's really important, isn't it? And God actually speaks to us by His Spirit, through His Word, every time we open it. But I reckon Acts has a bit of a special place for Christians. um, It might for you, it certainly does for me. It's kind of like our origin story. You know, origin stories, um, so you find out why Bruce Wayne becomes a crime fighter dressed as a bat, uh, or maybe, if you're not into superhero movies, uh, maybe you're into Ancestry.com. Anyone done the kind of tracing back of your ancestry, your origin story? Um, it's, it's something that we are really gripped by, right? Um, you, you kind of learn about where you've come from and you get to know a bit more about who you are today. Um, Acts is like that for Christians. It shows us where we've come from and it helps us know better who we are today. Um, Now, I've called this series Unstoppable. You can probably see that on the front of your leaflet there. I've called it Unstoppable. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that word. What are some unstoppable things in this world? Not me, it turns out. Uh, All it takes is a microscopic little virus, and I'm wiped out for a couple of weeks. Uh, Although, if you did ask me about a week ago what an unstoppable force in my life was, I probably would have said my nose It's just unbelievable. Um, I'll spare you the guru details. Uh, But on a bigger scale, though, um, what are the unstoppable forces that are at work in this world? What are they? Now, it wasn't too long ago that one common answer to that was, well, the one unstoppable force is human progress. Uh, It wasn't that long ago that lots of people would think that, as humanity became more enlightened, pursued rationality and science, we would just keep ascending up and up, getting better and better. But then you had the history of the 20th and first quarter of the 21st century, and that has really dampened that idea, the more technologically advanced we are. I mean, the more we seem to just find ways of hurting each other better, right? Alongside all the, all the good stuff as well. In fact, I reckon it can seem sometimes like when you're thinking about what's the unstoppable forces of this world, I reckon it can seem to us sometimes that, well, the, what's unstoppable in this world is that we hurt each other or we hurt the planet or we hurt ourselves, all you have to do is scroll through your news app, right? There is... So, and, and, you know, you, everyone is aware of what's going on in the world. There is so much darkness in this world, isn't there? Um, not a, but it's not just on a big scale. Scratch a little bit beneath the surface for just about everyone here and you'll find struggle and hurts... Grief, guilt, confusion. So maybe those are the unstoppable forces of this world. Darkness and decay and death. I mean, is that everything tends towards? Some people have said yes to that question. So this this, um, cheery-looking chap is a guy called Bertrand Russell famous atheist philosopher who looked out on the universe and saw, according to his atheist worldview, the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruin. I mean, it's very sort of um, striking kind of writing. But his conclusion was this, that we have to, we have to build our lives on the firm foundation of unyielding despair. <laughs> Here you go. Now, not a particularly upbeat way to start today, <laughs> or this series in Acts, but it's important to talk about. Because maybe you wouldn't say it as bluntly as good old Bertrand, but maybe you have had those kinds of thoughts. Maybe you have them now. It's important to talk about, because over and against that worldview of despair that has, it seems to me, grouped so many people, In our world. Over and against that stands the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who says no to that darkness, who calls you to come out of the dominion of darkness and into his kingdom of light. What we will see in this series is that he is the unstoppable force of this world. Now, that's what we're going to get a glimpse of in this passage and what we'll see worked worked through different angles as we look through this book. It's a massive claim, though, right? It's a huge claim. So, but let's dive in. Uh, The first important thing to know about Acts is that it's part two in a series. So you get that in verse 1. Uh, where the author of this book says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So um, you, uh, you might know this. Acts is written by a guy called Luke, who also wrote Luke's Gospel. That's in your Bibles. Um, and that's the former book he's talking about up there in verse 1. Uh, but notice something really interesting in that opening sentence first one says I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach so sometimes you can kind of think of Luke's gospel as the story of Jesus all the stuff he did Um, wonderful great Um, but then uh, you kind of move on to Acts and Acts kind of moves on from Jesus, right? So the, uh, the traditional title, not in the kind of originals, but the traditional title that's given to this is the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, uh, more recently, some people have said, well, hang on a second, it seems like the Holy Spirit is actually really powerfully at work here, so why don't we call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit? And you can see why. Both the Apostles and the Holy Spirit, as you read through this book, are key But neither of those titles actually gets quite to the heart, I think, of this book. And verse 1 shows you why. If Luke's Gospel was all about what Jesus began to do and to teach, this book is going to be about what Jesus continues to do and to teach. He is the living Lord of his kingdom. Uh, and one of the main things he said about doing after his resurrection was proving that to his disciples. I think that's quite wonderful, actually. He, he knew that they needed 40 days of constant proof that actually this amazing thing that has happened really did happen. He really has risen from the dead. So look at verse 3. Um, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He gave them many convincing proofs. You get a bit of a glimpse of that at the end of Luke's gospel, volume 1. So flick back if you've got your Bibles open. It'll be on the screen too, but flick back to Luke 24, the end of Luke's gospel, verse 36. Um, Luke writes, while they were still talking about this, this is the um, disciples, the first apostles Um, Jesus himself stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' They were startled and frightened, as you would be, um, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, "'Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? "'Look at my hands and my feet. "'It is I myself. Touch me and see. "'A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have.'" And you keep reading in Luke, and you find out he sits down and asks them for a piece of fish. And eats it in front of them. And it's like he's saying, look, the fish doesn't drop through me. I'm not a ghost. I'm real. He wants them to be absolutely sure that he really is risen from the dead. He is the living Lord of his kingdom. But he doesn't just prove he's alive to his disciples. Do you notice there's another thing he does in the, the, that last, those last 40 days? He teaches them. And Luke summarizes what Jesus teaches them with this phrase, the kingdom of God, in verse 3. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. This, that is the big important thing Jesus, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? He has this 40 days. What is it you think he was going to talk to his disciples about through that time? Well, here it is. This is the summary What is he focusing on? What is he obsessed with? What does he want them to really, really know about? The kingdom of God. It's so important, actually, for what's happening in Acts that Luke finishes the whole book of Acts with this idea of the kingdom of God. So again, if you've got your Bibles open, flick flick ahead to chapter 28, the last chapter, the last verse. Um, This is about 30 years later. Hopefully we'll get to it not in 30 years' time. It might take us a couple of years. Um, But this is about 30 years later um, from the start of the book. Paul, The Apostle Paul, who we'll find out about later on, um, he's in prison in Rome, and he finishes the whole book with this. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, he proclaimed, what, what, was, what, what does Acts finish with? What's the note it finishes on? The kingdom of God. So that's what Jesus spent his time talking about. That's what Paul has spent his time talking about. It's kind of bookends the whole book of Acts, front and back. And so what we're going to be doing as we read through this book is seeing this kingdom. What is it? What does it look like? How does it grow? But seeing it grow and expand under its risen and living Lord. but there's a bit of an issue. Um, Jesus knows He's not going to be with his disciples in his bodily for much longer. So here's the question: How is he going to continue to rule over his kingdom when he's not kind of physically present with them anymore? Uh, so verse 4 kind of zooms in on one of the conversations they had. Verse 4, on one occasion, when he was, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." Sometimes I think, and maybe you thought this too, you kind of think, I would have been so awesome, so much better if I'd been there, like if I'd actually seen Jesus in the flesh, if I'd been one of those witnesses, listening to him those 40 days. What's really interesting is that Jesus doesn't agree with you. Uh, He says in John's Gospel that it's better for you that I go away because I'm going to send my spirit. Uh, it's, It's better. With his spirit, you're better off. The living Lord is closer to you than if he were standing here in this room. Uh, Jesus' plans for his kingdom involve this, the sending of his spirit to his people. Uh, that's the first thing that and the and the first thing that they're to do that he tells them to do is to stay and wait in Jerusalem for this gift. Uh, but then they ask they ask this weird question in verse six. Uh, verse 6, they gather around Jesus and they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, that's not the question I would probably be asking at that point. Um, you know, if Jesus has just said, I'm going to baptise you in the Holy Spirit in a few days' time, so wait for that, I'd be thinking, I'd be wanting to ask him, what's that going to look like? What's, it, what, what's going on there? How does that feel? Will I have powers? You know, like, what's going on? But they don't ask that. That's not the disciples' question. It's quite interesting. I think they ask this because they know the Old Testament better than I do and better than you do. And they're actually joining all kinds of dots together as Jesus is saying this to them. This coming of God's kingdom, empowered by God's spirit. For them, it wasn't just about a kind of individual experience to think about although it was that it it, it was something that tied together so much more it tied together all the hopes and promises of the old testament Uh, so at this point in their history israel were an occupied nation they were under the rule of the romans and before them the greeks and the persians and the babylonians Um, but god had promised that it wouldn't always be that way He he had promised that he would send his king, uh, this Messiah that we saw in the psalm at the start, from David's line, who would restore his people and gather them from the nations. And that hope, this hope of this great king who would come and restore his people, went hand in hand alongside this hope that he would send his spirits, this promise of God's Holy Spirit's, to give his people a new heart to be with them and in them, a new heart to know and obey him. And as Jesus is teaching about God's kingdom, he's he's teaching about God's kingdom, he's proving he is that risen Messiah, that long-awaited king, and he's talking about this coming of God's Holy Spirit. All these threads are being kind of drawn together, all these promises and it's like they're kind of thinking, it's time. These promises are coming true, the kingdom is being restored. But it also seems like they don't quite get it yet, these apostles. It seems like that they were still thinking about this kingdom in earthly political terms, a physical kingdom in a physical place. So maybe they're thinking, maybe Jesus, you're going to now lead us out of this Roman oppression. But Jesus has much bigger plans for his kingdom than that. Uh, and the hope of the Old Testament was always much bigger than that too. From its very beginning, right back with Abraham in Genesis 12, the hope of Israel was always, always had the whole world in view. Through them and their Messiah, God's blessing would go to all nations. And Jesus is saying, that's happening now, guys. His kingdom would restore not just Israel, but people from every nation. His rule would be not just over one place, but over the whole world. And so he tells them in verse 7, he says, look, forget about worrying about dates and times. That's up to the Father, not not you. But in verse 8, he says... Instead of that, here's how I'm going to use you in my kingdom plans. And verse 8 is a really important verse. It's sort of the theme verse for the whole book of Acts. Verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See what Jesus is saying there? This this long-promised, longed-for kingdom is here, but it's not going to grow like any earthly kingdom. It doesn't grow through the sword of man, but through the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It doesn't grow through coercion or human force. It grows as people witness to Jesus in the power of the Spirit. So, yes... This kingdom will be restored to Jerusalem and Judea, to the people of Israel, but also to Samaria. If you know anything about the people who lived in Samaria, they were kind of seen as outcasts. Um, But not only to them, to the ends of the earth, to every nation. And you see this, actually, you see exactly this expanding kingdom as you read through Acts. So what we're focusing on this term, these first seven chapters, are this word going through Jerusalem. Then it keeps expanding out. The next little section is to Judea and Samaria. And then by the end of the book, the last section, it's going out to the ends of the earth. All the way, uh, not quite to the ends of the earth, it goes a long way away, to Rome. So, what do, we, what do we have here? This unstoppable kingdom has a living Lord. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit and it would grow across the whole world. And it'll keep growing until the King returns. Now, verse 9 Jesus is taken up from before their eyes. Uh, but now we know, right? This isn't him abandoning his post. It's not him kind of checking out, leaving the story. It's a bit like, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, Craig Broman used the illustration of a soccer team, and he was talking about sort of spreading out and working well together, not all huddling. You know, a kid's soccer team, everyone's sort of huddled around the ball and everyone moves with the ball like this. Um, and also, you have the coach on the team, uh, on the field, actually. The coach is sort of running around, trying to separate kids and getting them to spread out, and the coach is kind of like... Um, down there on the on the field, but but uh, we'll see how this illustration goes. It might work for you. Uh, but you get to when you get to professional level sport. Uh, not only have the players learned to kind of spread out and play their pay, take their parts, but the coach isn't running around on the field either. He's gone up into the grandstand. So if you if you you know watch, I know there's people who've been watching the rugby this morning. Uh, you get you get you get cuts to. Uh, the coaches' boxes up in the grandstand, right? That doesn't mean the coaches have abandoned the game. Uh, You see them, when when it does cut to them, they're constantly watching, sending instructions, pulling players off, putting players on. Um, He's up there because he's got the global bird's-eye view of the game and can run things better. It's not a perfect illustration, but there's something like that going on with this picture of Jesus in Acts. He hasn't left the pitch. He is more actively and sovereignly involved than ever in building his kingdom. He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he is still calling the shots. And the full-time whistle is going to blow, right? And he will return. That's what these two men dressed in white, presumably they're angels, they suddenly pop up out of nowhere uh, and tell the apostles in verse 10 and 11, so you get the picture, they're staring kind of dumbfounded up in the sky. Um, And suddenly these two guys appear and say in verse 11, "'Men of Galilee, "'why do you stand here looking into the sky?' this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, don't stand there gawking. The king has told you what to do, right? The coach has given you your instructions, so get on and do it. Uh, And that's just what they do. Um, we don't have time to look in detail at the rest of the chapter. But you see these apostles, do, do, they do what Jesus said. They return to Jerusalem. They wait for this gift of the Spirit. It's interesting to see how they spend their time. What, how do they spend this time of waiting in verse 14? Um, I, I, how do, I was thinking, how do I wait? You know, if I'm sort of waiting in line or... Um, at the shops or something or in a waiting room or something. This is what I do, right? I kind of scroll. I'm sure you're tempted to as well. Um, They don't do that. They didn't have their iPhones. Um, But, you know, we've kind of been trained by our technological overlords to do that whenever we have a few spare minutes. (laughs) But these people of the risen Lord, what do they spend their time waiting doing? They spend it in prayer. Um, they spend it in prayer. That's so helpful to see, isn't it? There is a, a, this is a bit of an aside. There is a bit of a caution re- when you read through the book of Acts. Um, one of the traps of reading Acts is to think that be- just because something is recorded there, it should always happen everywhere for all Christians. And there is something unique, actually, about this, this time of waiting uh, between Jesus ascending to his Father and sending the Spirit. Um, but we can not think like that. Because the early church was like that, we automatically should be like that. The early church got lots wrong. Uh, and Acts is more describing what happened. It's not always giving a prescription for this is what all Christians all times should do. So, but one thing to help you to look out for as you navigate this book uh, is to look at what's repeated and reinforced through the book, but also through the rest of the New Testament. So, for example, you don't get casting of lots repeated again and reinforced. Uh, so, I don't think we're meant to read that in this chapter, as here's uh, advice for how to make decisions in your life. But this pattern of being devoted to prayer, on the other hand, does get repeated over and over again, all through Acts, all through the New Testament letters. And it just makes sense, doesn't it? If this mission Jesus has sent them on to bear witness to him is a mission that they need the empowering of God's Holy Spirit to do, then prayer has to be at the very heart of it. So they spend their time waiting in prayer, but they also have another really important thing to do while they wait. Uh, this kingdom is going to be founded on the witness of these apostles, these guys who were with Jesus, who witnessed his resurrection. So there's 120 of them here, gathered there. Um, similar number to the number of people in this room right now, around 120 people. Um, it, but that's all the Christians in the whole world at this point, right? Um, which is interesting to think about, um, considering what happens next. Um, but only two of them, of this 120, only two of them qualify for this job of taking Judas's place of being an apostle. Uh, and they, but they can only choose one of them. See, it's important for them that there are 12 of them. Just as that first kingdom was founded on the 12 tribes, this restored kingdom would be founded on these 12 apostles. But the key here is that it's not actually... Them who choose. Now that's what's going on with the casting of lots. But more important than that, actually, is do you notice they pray to Jesus? In verse 24, they don't know which of these two men is the right one for the job. So they ask their risen and ascended Lord to show them. Uh, verse 24, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. So even here, so that's kind of the big point of this, this, last, this last part of the chapter. Even here, before the Spirit is sent, the living Lord is reigning from heaven, ensuring that his unstoppable kingdom will grow, empowered by his Spirit and founded on the witness of these 12 apostles. All right. Well, what do we make of all this, friends? Um, In many ways, this chapter, it kind of leaves us with bated breath, I think. The stage is set. Uh, It's set for Jesus to send his spirit and to send out the apostles into the world. But what I want to finish, where I want to finish is just, uh, I want to look again ahead to the very end of Acts. You see, in many ways, this whole book, it's not just this chapter that's sort of unfinished and propels you on to the next the whole book, in a way, is unfinished and propels you on to the next. Uh, what Jesus said would happen, happens. We're going to see that all the way through Acts. First of all, his apostles do go out and tell people about the risen Jesus in the power of the Spirit, and then others get swept up in that. And um, but, and that commission that was given to the 12 apostles then becomes, other people take that on too. Uh, so the apostles are kind of foundational eyewitnesses. But we have their witness in the New Testament that's in, inspired by God's spirit. But based on their witness, their testimony, this message spreads. And by the end of the book, chapter 28, it's in Rome. Not quite to the ends of the earth. Not quite to the ends of the earth. But Jesus had said it would, right? And so it's almost as if there's kind of an unwritten 29th chapter of Acts that's still being written. It is still being written. See, by the power of God's Spirit, as his people witness to him and his resurrection, his unstoppable kingdom has grown and grown from those First 120 believers huddled together, unsure of what the future would bring, grown across the whole world. It's still growing. That's why we love supporting places like CMS, the Church Missionary Society still growing across the whole world, even to Victor Harbour. And it's still growing. Friends, this passage lifts our eyes. It lifts our eyes above those other things that seem so powerful, that seem so unstoppable. You, you might know what they are when you think, what do, I, what do I get really worried or anxious about? What do I give myself to? Perhaps those are the things that you think are the kind of real unstoppable forces of this world. This passage lifts our eyes to see Jesus. Is he really risen from the dead? Yes, is the answer. Is he really risen from the dead? Are you convinced of that? Jesus gave convincing proofs. Jesus wanted his first followers to be utterly convinced Of that truth. They were. They died for it. And we have their eyewitness testimony in the pages of the New Testament. But if that's true, if he is risen from the dead, then he is the risen and living and ascended king of the kingdom of God. And Everything else in this chapter kind of flows out from that. He has not left his throne. He is on it today. I know that's a huge claim to make, right, given all of the darkness in our worlds. But he has not left his throne. No matter what other forces seem to rule this world, none of them compare to him His kingdom is the true unstoppable reality. He is still living and ruling by his spirit through his words. And by his grace and mercy, we have the privilege of being a part of what he is doing in this world. So will you be a part of it? Will you be a part of it? Will you be a part of it here and give yourself to this kingdom work here or wherever you live or over in Gula as we try to reach that place, as in your workplace, in your home group, in your sports club, in your family. It's, I think it's exciting to think actually, isn't it? What is Jesus, not what will we do here in our own strength, what is Jesus going to be doing here? Um, How is he going to keep transforming you, me, us together as a church family, this community of, of people through his wonderful gospel? Now, we're going to see through Acts that's not some triumphalistic thing. There is plenty of suffering along the way. This is not a kingdom that grows through worldly power. It's the small seed that grows often in the most hidden way. But with the eyes of faith, the call for you today is to see and receive and bank your life on this unstoppable truth that Jesus is the risen Lord of his unstoppable kingdom, empowered by his spirit, built on the foundation of his apostles, to see that kingdom for what it is. Unstoppable. So let's pray. Let's pray that God will do that. Keep us, our God, from having our vision taken away, our hearts directed towards other things that are so easy to take our focus, our attention, our love, our fear. Father, we pray that for each one of us here, whether we have been your person for a long time, or even whether we're not yet your person, we pray that you might be powerfully at work in each of us by your Spirit to take this word that tells us so powerfully of your unstoppable kingdom to take it and work it deep within us so that we might live our lives in line with this great true reality. And we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.